You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. This is Kelly Henderson, and you are listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. My guest this week is fashion designer Rebecca Minkoff. I am so excited to bring her on to the Velvet's Edge podcast. Rebecca Minkoff is a huge, wildly successful global brand and now an industry leader in accessible luxury handbags, accessories, footwear, and apparel. Rebecca Minkoff's playful and subtle, edgy designs can be spotted around the world on young women and celebrities alike. Rebecca Minkoff herself has also started a podcast called Super Women that dives behind the scenes of amazing and successful women's lives and also their business and struggles or accomplishments within that business. Business. I wanted to do my own Superwoman podcast today with Rebecca, and so she told me how she got her start, her first big break, the hardest and best parts of owning your own business, and more. Here's our conversation. Okay, so I have been listening to your Superwoman podcast and loving it, by the way. It's amazing. Um, I want to just talk to you a lot more about that. I want to talk about that actual podcast in more detail, but the podcast actually asks women the question, what are the secrets behind some of the most successful women in the world? And then the interviews dive into the behind the scenes of these amazing women's lives and the businesses and the struggles, which is the part I love before the accomplishments. So I just kind of want to do a little superwoman talk with you if that's okay. But I mean, unless you're living under a rock, you know that Rebecca Minkoff is a huge, wildly successful global brand from everything. You have everything from apparel to handbags to footwear to jewelry to tech accessories. So I want some backstory. When did you know you wanted to be a designer? Uh, I really didn't necessarily fully know until um, I had to make the decision, I'd say, before when I was a senior in high school, uh, okay. what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I mean, I had love, a love and passion for sewing and design. I've been doing it since I was eight. Um, but, but I truly had a moment where, you know, I saw all my friends going off to college and that didn't seem right. Uh, for me personally. And so what was my journey going to be? And when I had an opportunity to intern for a designer in New York, I was like, well, I'm going to take this opportunity and see if this is what I want to do. And very quickly figured out it was what I wanted to do and, uh, you know, moved to New York at 18 and never left. 
it. How intimidating was it to move to New York at 18? I just can't even process what that would feel like. Oh my gosh. It was <laughs> not only was it intimidating, but when you grow up in a warm climate, I grew up in Southern California and then uh, Florida, you know, I remember very clearly my mom and I went to go get me some cold weather clothes at the local department store. And I thought I was going to be okay, but quickly found out that that was definitely not, <laughs> not what was going to keep me warm. No. Um, and then I was working for an office. I refer to them as old people. They were probably in their thirties, but oh, I thought, gosh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because a lot of a lot of my peers were in college and had friends. And so I had to sort of figure out New York City and navigate it on my own um, without having that peer group. Right. Um, so I think that it was lonely for sure. Mm. Um, but it forced me to just focus on work and, and do what I could to soak up, soak up the industry. Yeah. Do you remember what you would call maybe your first big break? Do you remember a moment that you sort of felt that shift? Yeah. So I had been making and I've been working for this designer it was, at that point in my life. It had been about three years and I was making my own stuff on the side and selling it to local boutiques. DIY was really in then. Um, I don't think we'll ever enter that period again, but um, it, it was cool to wear a cut up shirt. And so yeah. I made I made one that said, I love New York. And, um, and I was wearing it. My sister-in-law wanted one. She was wearing it. She was at dinner with a well-known actress at the time who was like, I want it. Um, and I sent it to her pre 9-11 and she wore it post 9-11 on Jay Leno. So she said my name on national television, which had a reach that doesn't exist today. Um, and I just started making those shirts. That's wow. all I did for about eight months was wow. make that shirt. Wow, that's awesome. So when you started the actual brand, was that... I, I think I'm, what I'm trying to talk about is, you know, a lot of creatives, and this is something I've really struggled with, you have these big dreams, right? Like you think about all the things you want to do, and then it can get really overwhelming when you start to do the legwork. So I love hearing a big break story, but was it then after that, that a lot of the details and the legwork and the overwhelming aspects of starting a business, did you ever feel that? Or was that like an easy transition for you as a creative? Oh, no, you feel it every day. Yeah. I don't think it ever goes away. Um, there's always something to be overwhelmed about. There's always, you know, a fire happening. And so I think that in the beginning, I felt overwhelmed with all the nitty gritty that comes with inadvertently, you know, I'll never forget the phone call probably uh, in October, right after 9-11, where my boss was like, okay, go off and do your own thing. You're fired. <laughs> you know what you're doing. I'm here if you need anything. And I was like, uh, but do I know what I'm right. doing? Not so sure. Um, so I, I think that you don't know necessarily what you don't know, but you learn by making mistakes. Yeah. And I definitely made a ton of mistakes. And do you still, you said you feel that every day. Do you still feel that at the this point in your business? Yeah. I mean, great example. Um, you know, we received word yesterday that all the goods that were supposed to be shipped out to all of our stores uh, beginning of December will now be shipping in January and no one's going to want those goods. Right. Wow. So when every dollar right now is precious, how do you suddenly pivot and go, okay, I guess, you know, what do we do now? So I think that that stuff happens every day. And sometimes it happens where you have the best day and the worst news in the same day. And, mm. and it's, you know, 
getting used to that. Yeah. So what did your life look like before the brand was a big hit? Like, did you, what was the day-to-day journey? What, I mean, I know it just can't be as glamorous as it probably seems to people. So I want to know about that. Yeah. Um, I would say it, you know, not to, I don't want this to come across as Debbie Downer, but it never is as glamorous. <laughs> I think the glamorous part is, you know, uh, 10% of this. Yeah. Um, so the day to day before I really felt like, uh, there was a big hit, which was the bag was a lot of going to the garment district, buying fabric, buying thread, buying leather, uh, visiting my pattern makers, picking up cut samples, taking them to my sample maker, um, shipping things out, invoicing people, hoping they paid me, uh, contacting new stores, contacting press. Um, you know, it was definitely like a lot of walking around, a lot of begging and pleading and, and rubbing pennies together to make stuff work. And so Um, you're doing all of the things you just listed. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was doing, I, it was me. And then I got smart and I had an intern, uh, who they'd work out of my apartment. And so that would, that was helpful. Um, but sometimes the interns didn't want to do the, the grunt work. And so I would do it and I would say, all right, you make the PR list that we're going to send to and I'll go pick up all the whatever. So, wow. which was fine. Yeah. You know, it has to get done, I guess. I've learned, I've learned too, that it's, it's very difficult to find anyone who's going to care about your business in the same capacity that you do. So sometimes that can mean, you know, the glamorous parts, like we're talking about, you're the face of the brand, you're all the things that people would maybe aspire to be. But then what you just said, you're also going to pick up bags and and schlepping around and doing all of the work that it actually takes to run a business. Yeah. And I think it's good for the person whose business it is to be a, an example of willing to do that, but also does it. I think, you know, so I think I meet a lot of young people these days that don't want to get their hands dirty. And I'm like, you know, the only way you build this brand and and know the intimate details of how to run a business is by that. Mm, That's a really good tip. What would you say to someone um, who asked, what is the greatest part of owning a successful brand? I think for me, it's the people, you know, especially women that I get to meet and work with, uh, the founders I have access to, you know, they're, they're the pinch me moments, right? Well, not, not this year, but the pinch (laughs) me moments where you, you can't believe, you know, you're in Cannes, France, you know, Mm. on a boat doing an event that you did with 30 other women that celebrating women, you know, in yeah. a beautiful, you know, so there's those glamorous moments that you're like, man, all that work, all that schlepping paid off and ended it and culminated in something like that. Yes. So when you can actually see the fruits of your labor, what would you say are the hardest parts about of just running the business in general overall? So I really think that there is a boat with holes in it 24 seven and mm. you are trying to patch those holes as you're trying to, uh, get the water out. And so, you know, the business is a juggling act and I think it's sort of, you constantly have to remind yourself that that's normal because everything we've been told, everything we see in magazines or whatever, or, you know, when you, uh, I call it, if I can swear on this contest, yeah, uh, on this podcast, I call it the big dick contest where, <laughs> you know, I'm in a room uh, with founders and mostly men do this. No offense. Yeah. But it's like how great and perfect everything is. And I'm like, 
but how is that possible that it's only great and perfect for you? But like, there is a shit show going on from my company and every other woman I've ever talked to. So I think it's constantly reminding yourself, this is normal. This is part of it. We're going to figure it out, you know? Yeah. And that actually just made me think about this year. We've referenced that a couple of times of how hard this year has been, but it's felt to me exactly like that, which is just the second you put out one fire and you start to be like, whew, maybe we're getting a little freedom. It seems like something else happens. So that is, that's great personally for me to hear in regards to a business because I think you feel like you're failing when you're constantly having to put out some sort of fire. Yeah, uh, it can feel very lonely. And, yeah. and sometimes I say I do my podcast just for myself sometimes because to hear these other women have struggled or encountered failure, you know, you're like, oh, I'm not alone. Right, right. What do you think, if you had to pinpoint one lesson that would be just the greatest lesson that you've learned, could you do that? And what would it be? Um, I don't know that there's just one, but I think persistence. There's an invitation uh, at every turn to give up. Yeah. And you can, whether it's in business, whether it's in breastfeeding, whether it's in whatever, raising your kids, there's an invitation to like, all right, I'm thrown in the towel. And I think that your persistence and your commitment to whatever it is you believe in uh, has to be strong enough to withstand all those invitations. Well, the next question was, what's the secret to maintaining and keeping a business going for so many years? So would you say it's the same thing you just said? Um, I think, no, I think my answer would differ slightly in that, you know, I'm here because not just the work I do, but Mm -hmm. my team our partners that have believed in us. And I think that sometimes business with other partners or other outside entities can be very transactional, but I think we've built a really uh, personal relationship with many of our partners that um, they go, I don't know why I'm continuing to do X, but I love you. So I'm going to do it. And so some, sometimes the leaps of faith they're taking don't make sense on an Excel spreadsheet, but they believe in me as a person or my brother as my co-founder and so they, they keep things alive uh, due to that so build your personal relationships don't just have business be transactional if you know anything about me you know I am a massive creature of comfort it is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times so when I found cozy earth I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off, and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. 
Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned the Big Dick Contest, and so I've thought about just you as a brand and just a woman and especially when you were first starting I can imagine this was even worse but do you feel like there's anything you've faced in business that maybe you wouldn't have dealt with if you were a man so you know as someone who is so vehemently trying to make sure that women have equality and women don't don't encounter these horrible situations I have the odd feeling that I felt like I've never experienced what I hear so many women talk about. Okay. Um, the only thing that I can say is some of the positions I've been in, let's just say a fundraising meeting. My brother was there with me because that it was his job to own that relationship and that, and that part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my lane to, to head up marketing, PR design, et cetera. So, would I have been treated differently if I was alone trying to manage the business? I, I will never know the answer to that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, because he's always been there and that's just been part. That's your job and I have my job. So I, I, I have trouble answering that question because it hasn't come up for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if you have to give a woman just one woman looking to start her business, one piece of advice, like in any field she wants to start her business, what would you say? I would say you need to make sure that you I'm going to say more than one thing. (laughs) Okay, great. Give us Um, all the tips, please. (laughs) I think that you need to say persistence uh, when starting your business. I I think um, we are all used to this idea of I, I I Amazon primed it. I got my Uber and your success in your career. You cannot do that with, you have to put in the hard work as unglamorous as it can be at times. Um, I think that you have to push out more, more than you will expect in. So what I mean by that is early on, I said, okay, I need to send out a hundred emails to get one reply. Or I, when I used to pass out postcards in union square, you know, telling people to go to, uh, the boutique to buy my stuff so that I could get paid for it. Uh, I was like, all right, every 300 postcards I hand out equals one blouse sold. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you can't just say, well, I called two people and they both said no. So I guess I'm a failure. Um, you know, I think I'm always conscious about how much can I outflow and, mm. and, and ask and increase my reach because mathematically something will come in. Okay. Um, and then I think that you have to find product market fit. A lot of people start their businesses with a passion. 
Um, and they're so blinded by it that they might not even see that no one wants it. No one needs it. So make sure that you have traction and a desire and take feedback, tweak as needed. Um, and then last but not least, I think there is a misnomer with women starting companies today that they have to go raise a bunch of money. And mm. I, and I keep saying, what happened to good old fashioned business? Like if you look at how American small businesses, it, you know, in the last, let's say, like take out the last 20 years prior to this, you started a business, maybe you got a small loan, then you made sure you had a product that sold. You know, we don't all need to be unicorns. We don't right. all need to be a tech company. And I think there's this false expectation from women that sets us up to fail. Like we have to go raise a bazillion dollars. Uh, we have to grow, you know, 20 X a year. And I think, you know, look at your product. Is it meant to do that? Or are you meant to have like a great profitable company that, that pays for your lifestyle? Oh, that is a great tip. I, that is so true. I didn't even realize that mindset, but that is so true about the money you think going into it. I do think in that tech mentality, because I think that's this, a lot of the stories you hear about nowadays as being the huge successful businesses. Yeah, that's all you see on the covers. And they're yeah. like, oh, I raised a billion dollars. Well, right. how much of your company do you now own? No one talks about that. Right. She raised a billion and she owns 0.5. There is a huge, hugely mm. successful uh, women co-founders who have a company. They've raised so much money, they own like half a percent of their wow. own company. Wow. Yeah. So, when you put it like that, I'm like, no, let's start it scra from scratch. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why do you want to turn your business over? Um, well, we've talked a little bit about the, the pandemic happening, but obviously this is not anything that anyone could have planned for. None of us had any ideas. So how have you guys fully, I mean, I'm assuming you've felt it in some capacity, but how has it affected your business as such an established brand? And are you seeing a swing back of people, you know, buying the way they used to, or is it still sort of in that like uncertainty place? I mean, our entire world was flipped upside down on yeah. March 16th. Mm -hmm. um, so we lost uh, almost 50% of our business overnight with, wow. all, you know, our wholesale business is closing, um, not able to take in goods, not knowing when they would reopen, so not ordering new goods. So we really had to pivot. Essentially, uh, we had a week to figure out how we're going to stay in business with the bills that we have, with yeah. the costs that we have. Yeah. Um, it was the uh, most devastating time as an entrepreneur, I think, for myself and my brother. We had to let go members of our team. Mm. Uh, we had to furlough people. We all took pay cuts. You know, my brother and I took more pay cuts than anybody uh, so that it wouldn't hit some of the, some of the lower salaried staff. Yeah. Um, and we had to say, okay, all we have is our site. What are we going to do? Um, and so it really became about all of us focusing in on our site. But the, the beautiful part that came from that is for the first time, that's all, all 20 of us were doing. Mm -hmm. And it's all we were thinking and breathing and, and focusing on. And so we got to know our consumer better, her habits, what she loves, what she doesn't. You know, I became more prolific on social media, whether it was, you know, I was the content creator, right? So right. I had to shoot all the content for social, for our top of funnel ads, for paid advertisements. Um, and I think our relationship got more connected, not only with our consumer, but as a team. You know, mm -hmm. it was ironic that we're all working from home and we've never been more in lockstep and more coordinated and ironically, our culture uh, more positive. So um, all those learnings we want to take with us out of the pandemic. Yeah. But 
Um, you know, we're alive, we're in business and I don't know where these amazing women are going with my bags, but I'm so <laughs> grateful that they are buying them. <laughs> they might just be walking to the bathroom, but those bags are cute enough to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I, she is keeping the lights on with her Janine sweatshirts yep. and, uh, you know, all the bags she's getting. Yeah, so there you I'm, go. <laughs> I'm grateful. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Superwoman podcast. Um, like I said, I've been listening and it's so great because you find these women who we all know their names. They're, you know, really established. I loved the one with Katie Couric, who I think is a friend of yours. Um, She's so amazing, right? That conversation was so good. Jenna Elfman's been on there. Jesse Alexander, who's actually a buddy of mine here in Nashville. Um, But you have these women who we know their names from the success they've had, but they just, you have an open conversation about what their journeys have looked like, which is what gets missed so many times. So what inspired you to start this podcast? I think what inspired me was the fashion community can be incredibly insular and cliquish. And Mm -hmm. I was really tired of seeing the same people and talking about the same things um, and wanted to expand my personal network. So I began to host these dinners um, where I was just inviting other other females, whether they were founders or entrepreneurs. um, And then I was like, wow, I'm really lucky that I get to do this. How do I how do I bring my customer along on this journey? So I started hosting events in my stores where I would interview these women. Okay. And then felt like, okay, well, that only, we only can fit 70 in the store before the fire marshal likes to come, (laughs) uh, come in and shut us down. So how could I make this bigger? So, you know, thought about how I could do this on a podcast, um, and started at the end of 2018 and just feel blessed that not only do I learn something from every woman I interview, but you know, I have a a really loyal uh, listenership that gets something from it too. Yeah. Well, I was just about to ask you because when I do interviews, I'm always walking away with some lesson. You know, I mean, I've been taking notes on your business tips throughout this whole thing because it's just so, it's something I need myself. So do you find that when you're having these conversations, you are taking lessons away yourself? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, from Sally Krawcheck, you know, saying, you know, if women talked about money the way they talk about sex, you know, how much further along would we be mm. on our on our adventures um, in terms of uh, where we'd be with managing our own money, investing our own money, um, asking for more? Yeah. So what would you say? What do you think the Superwoman podcast is teaching you about yourself? What is it teaching me about myself mm-hmm. that you can that you can take take uh to take solace in in the journey of not knowing and discovering um I think that you know when I did my first 10 episodes and if you go back to the beginning I sound like I'm reading questions from a piece of paper because I was so nervous (laughs) I was reading questions from a piece of paper but my interviews got far more interesting when I did very little research except obviously to know who I was doing and uh, their backstory but then my interviews are are naturally curious so you know, that sums it up, like be curious and, and you can learn, you can learn something from anyone. doesn't matter if they're in your industry or not. Yes, I agree with that. Well, the podcast is called Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Obviously, the clothing website is RebeccaMinkoff.com. You guys can shop apparel, the handbags, which are my personal favorites and everything else, Rebecca Minkoff. Where else can people find you? 
So they can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff um, is where I'm most accessible. I am on TikTok. I'm oh. kicking, kicking and screaming <laughs> I didn't know on about TikTok, this. but uh, <laughs> yes, trying my best. What are you doing on TikTok? Give us some examples. <laughs> oh, God, it's so embarrassing. Um, Have you done any dance I, videos yet? I will never do a dance video. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but I feel like I'm trying. I know that there's a new generation out there and yeah. I sound like an old lady, but I'm trying to connect <laughs> and uh, entertain them. <laughs> well, now I'm definitely going to go have to look that up. <laughs> Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. I know you're so busy with the holidays and everything going on with you. So I appreciate you being here and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous Podcast. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 